All right, this lesson is number 13. I called it Sovereign Inheritance. Um, so our goal for this session, of course, is to have an understanding of the law of inheritance. <clears throat> and what do you think the blank for blank sovereignty is? Uh, the law of inheritance and number two. God's sovereignty. It's actually man's sovereignty. Wow. Yeah, we're going to step on some toes tonight. Now, um, sovereignty is just a word meaning, you know, control or, or will or, you know, uh, control of your own life, your own decisions, stuff like that. So um, God's sovereignty is implying that God's in control of everything. Man's sovereignty is basically saying that man has some control also is basically free will so we're going to talk about that and uh, how they both work together um, in strange ways but uh, we're going to talk about the issue of inheritance <clears throat> so inheritance meaning um, Levitical inheritance so when when uh, when someone in a family dies say a father the inheritance normally went to the the male children and then from then on, on brothers and all that. So we're going to talk about a little uh, incident here in uh, the book of Numbers. Um, I say an incident, uh, just a little uh, story, I guess you could say, of some, some five daughters who don't have any brothers and basically say, hey, what about us? So, <coughs> so we're going to talk about uh, Numbers 26. If you want to turn there, you can. We're not going to read through all of it. But in Deuteronomy 21, basically gives us the, uh, the basic laws about how only males were given the inheritance laws and firstborn sons were given a double portion. So, And then, of course, we jump over to Numbers uh, chapter 27. I'll go ahead and pull it up. Numbers 27. And if we're wondering where we're going with this, of course we're going to see Jesus in this eventually, so it's going to get kind of interesting. So the, no, chapter 27, I'll just kind of read through a few here and then stop and talk about it. So the daughters of, sorry, verse 1, Then the daughters of Zelophehad, mouthful, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, the fam, of the families of Manasseh, of the son of, sorry, the son of Joseph, came near, and these are the names of his daughters. Wish me luck. Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Tirzah. That did pretty good. They stood before Moses and before Eliezer the priest. Well, let me stop right there. Zelophehad was of the tribe of Manasseh. So, of course, you had the 12, could say 13 tribes. He's of that tribe. So, uh, he had five daughters and no sons. Most people, when they read stuff like this, will say, well, it, uh, you know, if there's a place where it says someone had five daughters and then stops there, they'll say, well, it didn't mention the sons. Well, the way the Bible works, if they had sons, it would have mentioned them. It would have, you know, gave, given some sort of indication that there were more kids, you know, there were many more sons and daughters or whatever. But in this case, this, this man, Zelophehad, had five daughters, no sons. Uh, the daughters stood before Moses, Eliezer, the leaders, and the congregation. 
And of course, they met at the tent of meeting. So you could say they stood before God. But they did stand before God's representative, Moses. Uh, Verses 3 through 4, they said, Our father died in the wilderness, yet he was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be withdrawn from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. Kind of a lot to ask for. So the daughters explain that their father died with no sons, and they request that their father's inheritance go to them. So, of course, Moses did the right thing. Um, Let's read here. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. That's the step one of really any scenario we should uh, first thing we should do you could could say the first thing is to pray about it but that's bringing it before the Lord as well so bring it to the Lord Um, so Moses did what was right and brought it before the Lord so verses uh, let's see here the daughters of verse 7 the daughters of Zelophehad are right in their statements you shall surely give them a hereditary possession among the fathers their father's brothers and you shall transfer the inheritance of their father to them further you shall speak to the sons of Israel saying if a man dies and has no son then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter if he has no daughter then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers if he has no brothers then you shall give his inheritance to the father's brothers and if he has no father has no brothers then you shall give his inheritance to the nearest relative in his own family and he shall possess it and it shall be a statutory ordinance to the sons of Israel just as the Lord commanded Moses so wow good day for these daughters Um, So verse uh, 7 through 11, God declares the women were right. Sorry, men. No. (laughs) And all the women said, amen, right? All right, so Numbers chapter 36. I'm going to mention this verse 6. It says that this is what the Lord has commanded concerning the daughters of Zelophehad. So this is later saying, Let them marry whom they wish, only they must marry within the family of the tribe of their father, of their father's tribe. So there's a reason why I'm I'm pointing pointing that out, but you might highlight it for later because they're going to come back to it. All right, so moving on. Skip forward in history a bit, a thousand years or so, and you've got a bloodline curse. So we all know that the Davidic covenant that was promised uh, back in, uh, well, pl- several places, but uh, in Genesis, promise us that the Messiah, the son of David, will rule forever from Jerusalem. But in First Chronicles 17, it's also here, it says, uh, when your days are fulfilled, that you must go be with your fathers, and I will set up your descendants after you, who will be your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build for me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son, and I will not take my loving kindness away from him so I as I took it from him who was before you but I will settle him in my house and my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forever so the Davidic covenant promises that the Messiah the son of David would rule forever from Jerusalem so he has to be a descendant of David okay well in Jeremiah my favorite book it would seem that God ends the messianic bloodline by cursing Jeconiah one of the uh, descendants of David who was a king sat on the throne 
the verse in Jeremiah 22, it's 22 verse 30 if you want to write that down, says, Thus says the Lord, write this man down childless, a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. And of course that's again Jeremiah 22:30. And as a result, obviously God said it, so what do you think happened? None of Jeconiah's seven sons, he had seven sons, ever sat on the throne. So there are, and if you want to get the names of them, they're 1 Chronicles 3, 17 through 18. And I'm not going to try to say all those names because they are multiple syllables. Jeconiah, that's an interesting one. Hashama, what's that? Have you gotten that one yet? No. Okay. Uh, no. Jeremiah is easier. First uh, Chronicles three seventeen through eighteen again, gives those seven sons. So, so what does that mean? So, this little we call it a blood curse or a bloodline curse. Um, basically, says that yeah, the the messianic line is basically over. That's what it would seem like. So, uh, one of my favorite speakers always says, you know, I could kind of visualize, you know, the uh, the um, the demonic powers celebrating at this moment and God kind of nudging his his angelic host saying watch this and uh, so there's a solution to this problem so we've got two genealogies in the New Testament of Jesus we've got Matthew's genealogy which journeys down from the line from David's son Solomon so Matthew's genealogy journeys down from the line from David's son Solomon and you've got Luke's genealogy, which journeys down from the line from David's son, Nathan. So we got two lines from two sons of David. And it's interesting how they end up. So <clears throat> Matthew, of course, is focusing on Jesus being the Messiah. And of course, as, a, as any Jew would do, he starts at who? You know you want to say it. Who? Anyone know? Abraham. Abraham. Very good. Matthew is focusing on Jesus being the Messiah starting at Abraham. The book of Matthew says that Joseph is the son of Jacob, or Jacob. If you know anyone named Jacob, call him Jacob and see what they do. So we got Matt. Moses says that Joseph is the son of Jacob. We're going to kind of confuse you here in a minute because Luke says a different name. Joseph was Jesus' legal father. Obviously not blood father because he was a, a virgin at a virgin birth. <clears throat> Jesus' royal legal inheritance would be then through Joseph. So Jesus' royal inheritance would then come through Joseph. Okay, so... We've got this other genealogy, Luke's, which journey down, journeys down from the line of other, David's other son, Nathan. Luke, of course, being a physician or a medical professional that he was, doctor, Dr. Luke, as he's called, is focusing on the humanity of Jesus as the son of man. And who would that be starting out at? I'll give you a hint. There you go. I was going to say the first man, but that'd just give it away. Adam. So Luke starts his genealogy at Adam. But here's what's interesting. Luke says that Joseph is the son of Heli. H-E-L-I. 
Uh, in that verse, there's a word in it, supposed, which of course is talking about Jesus being the supposed son of Joseph, but then it also includes um, in the Greek the uh, a reference to the Heli, because it talks then about who his who Joseph's father was was Heli. So it's implied basically it's it's that it's reckoned by law that Heli would be the father of Joseph, so like a father-in-law basically. So, <clears throat> moving on, Mary had a sister. According to John 19, Mary had a sister, but no brothers are mentioned. So, if no brothers are mentioned, we're going to assume, based on Scripture, that she had no brothers. It fits better if she, better if she didn't in this case. Um, but we're going to assume that she didn't. So, We can assume that Mary's father, Heli, had no sons. And adopted Joseph, or reckoned by law, for the purposes of inheritance. So, which is what is standard in those days, as you would adopt your son-in-law, basically. Since Joseph was of the tribe of Judah, and then Mary married him, she also met the requirements of the exception and in the inheritance laws. Remember in Numbers thirty-six, you have to marry the tribe of your father Mary within the tribe of your father and she did so Jesus of course had only one blood parent and who was that? Mary very good therefore Jesus' royal blood inheritance was through Mary so his royal inheritance line of David comes through Joseph and Mary in a way so even though there was a blood curse, the curse does not extend to Jesus. Um, Mary and Joseph are both of the lineage of, of course, David. Of course, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. That should be an easy one. So therefore, based on this, Jesus inherited the house and lineage of David with legal title to the royal line, but without the curse of Jeconiah through Joseph, which that blood curse would have went through Joseph, but since Joseph wasn't his blood father, then there's no blood curse. You see what, I, you see what I'm saying? Okay. So the virgin birth essentially prevented this blood curse from affecting the messianic line. So the Jesus inherited the house and lineage of David with legal title to the royal throne, but without the curse of Jeconiah through Joseph because of the virgin birth through Mary. That's a big sentence. So if you want to look in the back of your guide there, there's a little picture. It's kind of kind of a neat one. It kind of illustrates you how from, from all the way from Adam to Jesus um, through King David and then both, to both his parents. Legal and blood parents, of course. So that's a neat little one. There's, of course, credit down there. It's on answersingenesis.org. I had to do it like that. I had to do it length, you know, because it was kind of small otherwise if I did a portrait, I guess. So it'll show up nicely in the video. Probably fit the whole screen. So. Okay, so moving on. Now this raises some questions because what if these daughters didn't request inheritance? Would this have worked? If, if, if Mary had no brothers and 
this blood curse happened and you know this the, the inheritance wouldn't have been really according to the mosaic law so there there would have been some issues so the issue is like well was god planning on doing this even though it was requested of god to change something so you got you got the issue of like what's happening here because it's kind of we think that in one one sense that god's in control of all history which we, we agree he is at the same time, these people made this decision, these five daughters made this decision to have this law changed or, or amended or whatever word you want to use. So <clears throat> it's hard to, it's kind of hard to comprehend that as a person that one, one person or God is in control here, but yet people have an effect on it, even though, you see what I'm saying? There's like a, it's almost like a paradox. But it, it works. I mean, we can easily accept that Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, no problem. But it's kind of hard to grasp. It's, it's more difficult to comprehend and try to explain that God's in control, but we have free will. Um, and there's whole doctrines built on the far side of that versus the other side of that. So um, in Ephesians 3, 1 and 6, of course, I'm going to talk about sovereignty. Ephesians 3, 1 and 6 says, Blessed is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with his every spiritual blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So we, there's the, the verse that scares a lot of people because it talks about predestination and, and uh, what that means exactly. So uh, move on. moving on to John 17, it says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. So 1 Peter 1 says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. So... And I could go on and on. There's, there's tons of basically scripture saying that, you know, all of what's going on now and what has happened and what will happen has already been laid out. Um, I, like I said last week or the week before, you could argue that it's already happened. We're just experiencing it. It's kind of hard to imagine. But again, that's because God's outside of time. So um, did God plan the women to inherit? Yes. Did the women request it? Yes. Kind of, it's kind of one of those again. It's like a paradox. You can't really explain it, but you, you have to accept it. You know, it's that's the way these things are. We can't fully comprehend the ways of God, and that's scriptural as well. Did God force Judas to betray Jesus for thirty pieces of silver, fulfilling prophecy? That's a tough one. Did he, or did Judas willingly choose to betray Jesus? Fulfilling prophecy. I think the Bible tells me that uh, Satan got to Judas. Well, Satan did possess him, but didn't Judas, did Judas make these decisions, or was he just a puppet? He made it. No, I think he made it. He, to, he make, yeah, I, mean, I think he chose from, from the get-go. He wasn't going to, I mean, he didn't believe in Jesus, who he was, obviously. Um, and then he, of course, later even, re, you know, regretted it, regretted his decision. So, um Zechariah 11 is what I was talking about, and it says, The Lord, this is of course written hundreds of years before Judas was even born. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that magnificent price at which I have valued by them. So I took the 
30 shekels of silver and threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Well, of course, we know that Judas, hundreds of years later, took the 30 pieces of silver priced for Jesus' betrayal and threw them to the, in the temple to the chief priests. And, and then, of course, that paid for the potter's field, right? So very specific verse or prophecy fulfilled there. But, of course, Judas made those decisions. For example, here's another one. Was Moses held accountable for striking the rock twice? Or did God make him strike the rock, strike the rock twice? I can't talk today twice. So was Moses, was Moses held accountable? Yes. He couldn't even enter the promised land. He had to, you know, all he did was, bam, bam. I'm, you know, he was, he, he'd been through a lot. He'd been wandering in the, he was in the desert for, in the backside of the desert for 40 years, wandered for 40 years. Um, did, you know, right. And, uh, so he was a little, you could say he'd lost his patience with these people he had been following around and leading. And, but it doesn't matter. He, didn't, he misrepresented God, he messed up, and he had to pay for that. So it wasn't like God made him do it. Um, should we stand by and do, oh, sorry, I skipped one. Will the kingdom happen? Yes. Here's a question. Should we pray for it to happen still? That kingdom come, right? So we should still pray for things, even though they are going to happen, right? What was the, was blank held accountable for not recognizing? Moses. Oh, sorry, I missed that one. Was Israel held accountable for not recognizing the Messiah? Yes. Remember when Jesus rode up on the hill to Jerusalem on the donkey and he wept over Jerusalem because they did not know this day, this thy day? That's King James, of course. This day they didn't recognize. So he basically said, Two things. I'm going to give Israel a blindness, which is still going on today. And I'm going to, in, in 30 or 40 years, like 40 years later, I'm going to basically just, Israel's going to be destroyed, or Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. And that's what caused the what's called the diaspora, or the dispersion of the Jews throughout the entire world. And they were not regathered until May of 1948. So, <clears throat> so that was a big event uh, in 70 AD. All right, so... Will the kingdom happen? Yes. But should we pray for it to happen? Yes. What did Jesus do when he prayed to the Father? He said, uh, you know, did he know it was going to happen? Yet he prayed for it not to happen. But it still happened. So you've got all history lined out. Knows what's going to happen. But yet we still are somehow, we still have a sovereignty, you could say, that free will. So you could say, and it's hard to comprehend that we're not puppets, but we're not. Okay, so it's, it's one of those, again, it's a paradox. All right, so <clears throat> should we stand by and do nothing since all history is already laid out? No, there are actual doctrines that say that, that don't do uh, evangelism because they feel like, well, if, if God's already picked who's going to do that, you know, be saved or who's going to be a disciple or this, then why should, why should we even talk to people? You know, that's, a, that's, that's actually a... I, I have friends that, are, that feel that way. Um, and it's sad. You know, they think, well, let's just sit by and not do anything. So who is sovereign? The answer, God and man. There's a really good book I have by Chuck Missler called The Sovereignty of Man, and it covers this exact topic. And uh, talks about how we talk about the sovereignty of God all the time, but we also have the sovereignty of man. And it's a really good book if you want to check it out. Is this difficult for the human mind to comprehend? Yes. So 
sovereignty is a very tough subject from both perspectives. But we should, of course, accept it because it's true. All right, so summary. We've got five points here. The daughters of Zelophehad proposed inheritance should fall to the daughters if there are no surviving brothers. I put daughter with a little parenthesis or an S in case there's just one daughter, but yeah, daughters. Regardless of problems in the messianic line, God perfectly worked it out. Jesus fulfills the requirements to inherit. Not just some, but all of them. God is sovereign and so is man. That's a tough statement. Makes a lot of people angry, but I mean... Everything in Scripture eventually points to Jesus. Next week we're going to go over a whole lot of little things that... It's like, how in the world could that point to Jesus? And then we see... We're going to talk about every book in the Bible. Every single little book. Strange book, good books, big books, obvious ones, not obvious ones, minor prophets, major prophets. Poetry points to Jesus, so... Memory verses. There's two of them here. I'm not going to make you... I'm just going to put one of them on the quiz. It's the short one. Isaiah 7.14 Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. It's a Christmas verse. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And Ephesians 1.3-5 I think I read that one earlier. Yes. Blessed be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing here at heavenly places. In Christ, just as he chose us before the foundation of the world, so that it would be holy and blameless for him. In love, he predestined us to adoption of sons of Jesus Christ himself, according to the kind intention of his will.